Philippians. Philippians. It's one of my favorite books. It is probably one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Some of you smile at that because you say, every time we start a book, you say, that's your favorite book. No, really, this is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. One of the reasons why it's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, i got a couple reasons why it's one of my favorite books, but one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite books is because it's all about joy. It's about joy. And I'm always happy. Oh, that's bad, I know. If you know me, that's my last name, Hoppy. But I do like joy. I love joy. And I love joyful people, and I love learning about joy. And as we go through this book I've already mentioned, we're going to have 15 references in four short chapters on how to have more joy. Joy in all aspects of our life we're going to learn about as we go through this book. It's a great book about joy. Now, the first thing we need to get established here, what's joy? Yeah, it's not, not necessarily happiness. Happiness is more based on happenstance. What does that mean? Happiness is more based on your circumstances. What's happening in your life? And happiness oftentimes is based on whether things are good or bad. That's happiness. That's not joy. Joy doesn't, doesn't matter what's going on in your life because joy is not outward. What's going on in circumstances, joy is inward. It's what's going on in your heart. And we're, we're going to learn as we go through this book, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how tough life is for you right now, you can have joy in the midst of it, no matter what your circumstances. Because joy is not based on outward things, it's based on what's going on in your heart. And primarily, our source for joy, as we go through this book, we're going to see over and over again, our source for joy is the Lord. And if you got Jesus, you got everything you need to have joy in your life, to be joyful people. Now, the word joy, interesting word, it means to be a person of good cheer. It means to have gladness in your heart. It means to have cheerfulness to the point that you want to turn around and dance. That's joy. I mean, this is, this is I mean, it's, it makes you want to dance. That's, that's true joy. It makes you want to just get up and do a jig or something because of the joy that you have in your heart. That's joy. Now, one of the reasons why uh, this is important for us is because Jesus was a man of joy. Did you know that? Now, he was acquainted with sorrow. He knew grief. He knew the cross and everything he was going to face. But we also know he was a man of joy. How do I know that? Because John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be what? Full. And then Jesus, all throughout the Scriptures, commands us to be people of joy. We're going to see in Philippians 4, 4, our Scripture on rejoicing. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not when when everything's going great. Just always be a person of joy. Again, I say rejoice. Now, interesting, that verse there is not a suggestion. It's in the Greek, imperative, which means it's a command. We're commanded in the Scriptures to be people of joy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, uh, goes on and tells us, uh, verse 16 says, rejoice when? Always. Again, that's same as Philippians 4.4. We're to be people of joy. Come and be people of joy. Another version, uh, the NLT version of this actually says, always be joyful. Always be joyful. So again, this is something as we go through, we need to see there's an important part of our Christianity is be people of joy. We're, we're not, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Be people of joy. Um, we're told, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I like that. You want to be stronger as a person? Have the joy of the Lord and operate in that joy of the Lord. 
Uh, we're told in uh, Psalm 16:11 again, Jesus and the Lord uh, to talking about you will make me uh, know the, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence, in God's presence, in Jesus' presence is what fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. So this joy is just a part of our Christianity. It's an essential, integral part of our Christianity. It's joy. Joy. Another reason why this book is one of my favorite books, not only because it's a epistle of joy and it's principle after principle on joy, but I love this book also because I'm nostalgic about it. What does that mean? It means when I started the ministry at 25 years old, first church plant, North County, San Diego, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I got in the first year of starting that church, and it was just, whoa, what is going on here? Spiritual warfare, all kinds of stuff. But there was a group of Calvary Chapel pastors in North Carolina, San Diego. They took me under their wing, and they, I was in a prayer group with them, and I learned from them. And then they started pointing me towards their radio station, Calvary Chapel Radio, K-Wave, 107.9, the wave of living water. And they said, you need to start listening to Pastor Chuck. And I did. I started listening to Pastor Chuck, founder of Calvary Chapel, and I started listening to him teach verse by verse through the Bible. You know what happened to me? I started growing spiritually. Just by listening to verse-by-verse Bible teaching, and then this genius finally put two and two together and said, John Hoppy, that's what you're supposed to do. You want your people to grow spiritually? Teach them the Bible like Pastor Chuck teaches the Bible. And so, you know, the first book I chose to teach verse-by-verse through, chapter-by-chapter, was this book of Philippians. And it revolutionized me and our church. And I've been sold ever since. I just teach God's word, simply teach God's word, simply verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and it all started the book of Philippians. Because I saw our people, as we started studying the verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, I saw our people grow, and I saw me grow, and I go, this is it. This is how we're supposed to be as a church, just studying God's word and teaching God's word, being equipped by God's word. And as we studied Philippians also, I noticed our people got happier. There's more joy in our fellowship, because we were applying the principles of the book of Philippians. So I, I got a special place in my heart for this book. It's, I'm nostalgic about it because it was the first book I ever taught verse by verse through, and that was 32 plus years ago. Okay, three reasons before we get into Philippians chapter one. Three reasons why we're supposed to be people of joy as Christians. We've already talked about the first reason. We're commanded to. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Second reason, it's a part of Christian maturity. Did you know that? Mature Christians are joyful Christians. Why? Because Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of God's Spirit working in our lives, the fruit of growing spiritually will be love, and the second thing on the list, what? Joy. And then peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, you know, self-control, those things. All but the second thing on the list, if you're growing spiritually, will be joy. Joy. Say it again. Joy. Joy, that's a part of our Christianity, a part of Christian growth. There's way too many sourpuss Christians. There's way too many Christians that are walking around like the, it's just, you know, woe is me. No, we're supposed to be joyful, and joyful always. Third reason, we're commanded to be joyful, it's part of a Christian church. And listen, 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 it's a part of our witness. You want to be a stronger witness for Jesus Christ, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What, what do people want in this life? They want joy. When they see us operating in joy, they're going to want the Jesus that we receive the joy from. It happened to me. I was a lost 16, 17-year-old at Oak Park River Forest High School in Chicago growing up, 
and I was lost as a rock, but there was these Christians witnessing to me, and the one thing I couldn't deny about them is they had joy. They were always smiling. Going, what are they always smiling about? And then I went to the first Young Life meeting. They took months to get me to come to the Young Life meeting. I went to the Young Life meeting on Tuesday night, and I'll never forget the guy drive, driving me there. We would drive up to this big house in River Forest, Illinois. It was like a mansion. And that's where they were meeting for Young Life on Tuesday nights. And we get there, and there's all these cars. The whole block was filled with cars. And I go, who's throwing the party? My friend just kind of smiled and goes, that's everybody here for Young Life. I go, really? We get in the house, there's 100 teenagers in this house. They're up the stairs, they're out the doors, they're out everywhere. There's two guys up front playing guitars. And I couldn't, these were praise songs, but they were bringing it, man. It just, and there was an electric sense of synergy in that room of just joy. Joy. And then they, I'll never forget because part of the Young Life Club meetings and outreach and stuff, they do a skit. And uh, they called me up to be a part of the skit. They go, you ain't doing this in front of 100 of my high school students. You know, but I got up and did the skit and it was fun. It was fun and it was joyful. And I go, wow, these Christians actually know how to have fun. And there's joy there. And that was a part of bringing me into the kingdom was the witness of these young lifers that they knew how to have fun and they had joy in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see how that's a part of a witness? Why would people want our Christianity if we're just bummed out all the time and we're not rejoicing in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. Amen? All right, so let's get in our scripture. Philippians chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, first thing I want you to see, this is a letter from Paul. He's in a Roman prison cell. We'll learn later. He's chained to two Roman guards, and Timothy is with him, and he's writing from Rome to Philippi, a church he had started 10 years previously in Acts chapter 16. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what he's, he's writing to the saints of this church he started 10 years previously. And notice, he doesn't call them Christians. He calls them saints. The, the, the term for believers throughout the New Testament, more than Christians, is saints. Now we have this misconstrued idea that saints are just revered people within the traditional church. No, no, no. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're a saint. If you haven't trusted Christ, you're an ain't, and you need to get saved, and then you can be a saint. Very simple. Just receive Christ, and you'll be a, you, you won't be an ain't, you'll be a saint. And so we got saint, what do we got? We got, we got, we got Saint Joe back in the sound booth. We got St. Tom right here in the middle. St. Tom, you're a saint. You're a saint. We got St. John. And then if you're a Bernard, you're a St. Bernard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> saint, saint. We're all saints. I like that. The word means holy ones. It means those that are set apart for God's special purposes. That's who you are in Christ. You're a holy one. You're set apart. God's got a purpose and a plan for all of us a hope and a future. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, now overseers synonymous with elders or pastors, deacons, leaders of ministry, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now a little background before we get into the first principle for joy in our relationships. A little background, he's writing to the saints in Philippi. Acts chapter 16 tells us that his background with those saints is he came to this city because of a Macedonian call. Macedonian call was he was wanted to go towards Asia Minor, and all of a sudden in the spirit, he has this vision of this man in Macedonia saying, come, come. Now that's significant. 
because uh, Macedonia is present-day Greece, Europe. And so Paul going to Philippi was the first church that was started in present-day Europe. You know why that's significant? Because most of us have European backgrounds. Most Americans have European backgrounds. And it's significant that the gospel now through Philippi comes to Europe and affects people in Europe and brings it to European descendants. Not only what's interesting about this also is when he got to Philippi, there was, it was a Roman colony, which means it was mostly Gentiles, Roman citizens. And uh, actually the city of Philippi was started by Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And he made it, uh, the Roman Empire then made it a Roman colony where a lot of the Roman soldiers retired to. Roman citizenship was there. But when Paul got there, there wasn't enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. You had needed to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And there wasn't even 10 Jewish men there. So Paul usually preached the gospel first in the synagogue. There's no synagogue. But the ladies that were Jewish uh, were meeting by a river. Because ladies, if, if they didn't have a synagogue, they would find a place of nature and they'd worship on the Sabbath together. So Paul goes to this river where these ladies are worshiping at, preaches the gospel. Amazing. And a lady there who was an entrepreneur named Lydia, a seller of purple dye and fabric, probably a very wealthy lady, business lady, gets saved. And then she pulls her salesmanship on Paul and says, now that I'm saved, you're coming to my house for dinner. Paul did. Church was started in her home probably. And then after that, Paul delivers a fortune-telling girl who had a, a demon in her, delivers that girl in the city of Philippi. And what happened was the master that was making money off her fortune-telling falsely accused Paul and Silas, threw him in jail, beat him with rods, and then they were in jail about midnight singing hymns of praise to God, an earthquake, it's the first jailhouse rock ever. There was an earthquake that happened and it broke open all the doors. Paul, was, Paul was, could have escaped, but instead he ministered to the jailer there who said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer came to Christ and his whole household, and they're all baptized. The church was off and running. And that's the saints that Paul is writing to now, 10 years later. And the first thing he says to these saints, grace to you, and what? Peace. It's a typical Pauline greeting. See it all throughout his epistles. Never see it, peace to you and grace, because grace is God's undeserved merit. Peace is serenity to soul. You cannot have serenity to soul until you have God's undeserved merit and favor covering your sin and giving you grace. Now, interesting, Grace to you is present tense. What does that mean? It means past tense, you get saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 uh, is past tense. For by grace, you have been saved, right? That's past tense. But now, present tense, he's saying, grace to you right now, Philippians. Grace to you, Christians, and peace. You know what that means? We not only need to be saved by grace, we need grace on a daily, present basis operating in our lives and our Christianity. And that's the first principle. If we want more joy in our relationships, we need to be people of grace and peace. You know that's important? Because there's way too many Christians that are on the edge. There's way too many Christians that aren't operating in grace. There's way oxymoron. There's way too many mean Christians. Those two words should never go together. We should be people that are operating present tense in God's grace and God's peace in our relationships. Why? Because we follow one who is called the Prince of Peace. And the one that we follow told us very clearly we're to pray this prayer. <clears throat> Father, forgive them. Forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors. And in his word, Jesus has instructed us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. How dare we not be people of grace and peace in our relationships when God has been so gracious in bringing us peace through Jesus Christ? Amen? I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again. A forgiven people should be a forgiving people, right? And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Our pastor that founded this movement, Calvary Chapel, um, was a man of grace and peace. If you wanted to characterize Pastor Chuck as anything, man, that guy was a man of grace and peace. Always. He's just so gracious. I remember I fell into the movement of Calvary Chapel in the mid-80s, and there was a church split going on at the time within Calvary Chapel. I don't know if you knew that or not. But there was a guy that started a Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda, and then he started emphasizing more about miracles and signs and wonders and all kinds of whoa kind of stuff and got away from the teaching of God's Word. So Pastor Chuck met with him. His name was John Wimber. Pastor Chuck met with him and said, John, if you're not going to emphasize centrally the teaching of God's Word, then you, you need to change your name and not be at Calvary Chapel. And they parted ways in grace and peace, and then John Wimber started what was called the Vineyard, and he started you know, more emphasis on healing and signs of wonders, a little less emphasis on the Word of God, and Pastor Chuck was fine. But then about a third of our churches all decided to become vineyards. And I'll never forget it, because I was out there in, the, in Southern California while all this was happening in the mid-'80s, <laughs> and I remember Raul Reese, who's one of our fighters. I mean, Raul Reese, if you know Raul Reese, he's got a fourth-degree black belt in kung fu, came off the streets, and just got a lot of fight in him. I remember listening to Raul Reese on the radio in the mid-'80s when this whole church split was going on with the Calvary Chapel, and he was calling John Wimber out, calling him an Absalom on, on K-Wave on the radio station for thousands of people here, and said, you're an Absalom, you need to repent. All of Never heard a word from Pastor Chuck. He's just gracious about the whole thing, kind. And to the point that John Wimber was a songwriter also, and he wrote a great song called Spirit Song, and Pastor Chuck's intro and outro was John Wimber's song, the Spirit Song. To this day, 30-some years later, you listen to Pastor Chuck on the radio, before and after his intro and outro is still John Wimber's song. He said it was an anointed song. I'm going to leave it as my intro and outro. I don't care if he split our movement. It doesn't matter. Grace and peace. And it was interesting, after John Wimber got off the scene and the Lord took him home and stuff, over half those covered chapels that became vineyards, the vineyard ran out of steam, they all decided they wanted to be covered chapels again. You know what Pastor Chuck did? He welcomed them back with open arms. Many of these guys that just left our movement, he welcomed back because Pastor Chuck was a man in his relationships that was characterized by grace and peace. And I tell you what, you want more joining relationships? Be a person of grace and peace and forgive and show mercy and grace and peace to those in your relationship with it. Amen? So Paul says, grace to you, present tense, and peace to the Philippians from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on in verse 3 and says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Ten years, fast forward from starting the church. I thank God. Every time I remember you, Philippians, I thank God for you. You know, they had given multiple gifts to Paul in his three missionary journeys. They, they had they'd covered a lot of Paul's expenses. We'll, we'll see that in Philippians chapter 4. They were a church primarily that was just always on Paul's side and, and even, even writing checks and giving him money for his, his missionary efforts. This was a great church. Actually, this whole letter of Philippians, it's just one big thank you letter for their gift to him give, given by, uh, uh, actually, Epaphroditus brought the gift from Philippi to Paul in Rome. And then Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter as a thank you letter. Here's the second principle for joy. 
If you want more joy in your relationships, be gracious and peaceful to those who are in your relationships. Show forgiveness and mercy. Second principle, very important. One more joy in your relationships. Thank God in remembrance of those that you're in a relationship with. I think way too often instead of thanking God for those who are in a relationship with, you know what we're doing? We're complaining. We're looking at the negative things in other people's lives rather than being thankful for them. Hey, spouses, let me give you a, a little hint right here. If you want more joy in your marriage, in your relationship with your marriage, thank God every day for your spouse. You don't know what my spouse has done. You don't know how much of a headache he is. No, it doesn't matter. Hey, if you're still married, you're doing better than 50% of a marriages in our culture today. And thank God that your spouse is just stuck with you. Right? Thank God for that. Be thankful for that. Thank God for your kids. Well, you don't know what my kids are doing. It doesn't matter. Thank God for that. Thank God that you have the privilege of being a parent if you have kids. And thank God specifically for those kids. Thank God for those people you work with. Oh, you don't know who I work with. It doesn't matter. Thank God for them. Thank God for the people in your extended family. In every remembrance, thank God for your, you know, your parents and your, your sisters and brothers and those that are part of your earthly family. Thank God for them. Thank God for your church family. we got a great church here. A lot of great people in this church. We should be thanking God for the people that are part of this church. Paul says, when I think of you Philippians, I thank God in every remembrance. Interesting of you all. Hmm. Be thankful for those people you're in a relationship with. You know, um, Paul did this, and you say, well, it's easy for Paul because these guys were giving money to him. There was nothing but good memories in Philippi. It's easy for him to be thanking God in every remembrance. No, no, no. There were some bad memories. Remember I just said in Philippi was a place where he got beaten with rods and thrown, falsely accused and thrown in prison. So, well, there wasn't any problems with the Christians there. Yeah, there was. Paul writes in this letter, chapter 2, we're going to see in a couple weeks, Paul was instructing them in unity because there's all this, there's some disunity in the church, and he had to point them back to Christ and say, hey, stop being divided and have the spirit of Christ. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, which is unity. We're going to see later in this book also there's two ladies in the church in Philippi that, that were at each other's throats, Yudia uh, and Sitika, they were I mean, they were fighting at each other's throats. Good thing, ladies, that doesn't happen today, right? The good thing that only happened in the first century. Just kidding. But these two ladies were going at it. So there's issues in the church in Philippi. There's false teachers in the church in Philippi. Uh, Judea, uh, Judaizers are called. We're going to see that in chapter 3. We're going to see these false teachers were bringing legalism into the church and trying to divert people away from the gospel of grace. But does Paul focus on those negative things in those relationships in the church? No. He says, he says, no, when I think of Philippi and I think of you all, I think of, I just want to thank God for you all. Here's the, here's the next principle, uh, and, 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 or the same principle, but here's a phrase you could, you could think of if you want to be more thankful for those people in your relationship. Remember the best and forgive the rest. You want, to, you want to have a better relationship and more joint relationship? Remember the best and forgive the rest. Let it go, man. And some of you right now don't have joint relationships because you're holding on to what I call roots of bitterness. Hebrews tells us there's roots of bitterness that can come into your heart, and what it will do is it will defile your relationships with others and your relationship with God. And that's not the way we're supposed to operate as Christians. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right? If possible, again, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And Jesus makes it clear, let it go. 
Forgive as you've been forgiven. Remember the best. <laughs> Let's say that together. Remember the best and forgive the rest. Yeah, it's weak, church. Come on. Remember the best and forgive the rest. Let it go. Let it go. And you'll have more joy in those relationships. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's a life verse for me, verse 6. It says this, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what? I have some life verses. Um, Matthew 6.33 is one of my life verses. It's, uh, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will add all things unto you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, or he'll make your paths straight. Life verse. Another life verse that I have is uh, we see it all over the U-turn, T-shirts and everything else. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? Another life verse, 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. But this is a life verse too here. I can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it, or another version says, will carry it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. It's a great verse. You know why that's great for me? Because there's times where I feel like just quitting. I feel like God's done with me. I just made this mistake and done this dumb thing. And then the reverberates in my head, no, 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 God's not through with me. I can be confident that he who began a good work in me will perfect it and carry it to completion of Christ Jesus. And it's ultimately going to be fulfilled, 1 John 3, 2, when, when I see Jesus face to face, I will see him as he is, and I too will be like him. All the imperfections, all the sins, all the mistakes, all the weaknesses, gone. In the meantime, Romans 8.29 says, I, I've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. He's working in me, and he's working through me. Now, what does that have to do with our relationships with other people? Here it is. We need to claim that verse for people we're in relationship with and realize don't just focus on their present imperfections, focus on their future potential. Do you see what I'm saying there? God doesn't look at us as, our, our, as jars of clay that have all these idiosyncrasies, faults, and weaknesses. God looks at us for our future and the potential we have in Christ. How do I know that? Look at the way Jesus interacted with his disciples, right? Look at with Peter, the flaky fisherman, impetuous Peter, Peter who had the foot and mouth disease. Peter that was trying to talk Jesus out of the cross. Lord, you shouldn't do that. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Because get behind, that'd be kind of embarrassing as one of the main disciples being called Satan by Jesus. He had some issues. But then Peter was also the one that confessed Christ as the Savior. And Jesus said, upon this rock of your confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said to Peter. And he said, your name's no longer Simon. Your name is Peter, the rock. And he saw Peter not for his present imperfections, but his future potential. He saw Peter for the one that was going to stand up on the day of Pentecost, preach such a powerful message that 3,000 people in one day get saved and baptized. One day, the church was off and running. He saw Peter as the one that stood right in the face of the religious leaders and said, hey, uh, whether you think it's right for us to obey man rather than God, you be the judge, but we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. We're going to obey God rather than man. Peter the Rock became one of the main leaders that Christianity was started on 
as the leader of, of the gospel to the uh, Jews, where Paul was the leader of the gospel to the Gentiles. Amazing. Peter, the rock. He viewed Peter for what he could become, not what he was. We needed to do the same with those we're in a relationship with, right? Don't look at their present weaknesses. Look at their future potential. Look at Jesus with Mary Magdalene, too. She was possessed. Church tradition says very likely she could have been a prostitute. Jesus comes in her life and makes her one of his main disciples. Makes this Mary Magdalene possessed by seven demons. Not only one of his disciples, but also the one that would be the first person he'd appear to in his post-resurrection appearances on uh, first Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Amazing. She was the one that, man, Jesus said, of all the apostles, all the disciples, I'm going to appear to you first. And you can be the, de- the declarer of my resurrection to everybody else. Amazing. Jesus saw her not for the demons, not for the prostitution, not for the stuff in her life. He saw her for her future potential. Also, look at Saul. Saul was the destroyer. His name meant destroyer. Saul was breathing murderous threats against Christians, going to Damascus to imprison and kill Christians. Jesus appears to him on that Damascus road and leads him to grace and said, Saul, you have a new mission. You're going to go with my gospel of grace to the kings and the Gentiles and to the entire world, and he did. And Jesus saw this destroyer as one who had great potential to be the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. Jesus sees you for your potential, and we should see others for their potential, not just their present weaknesses or faults or mistakes or idiosyncrasies. Amen? That'll help us in our, <laughs> that'll really help us in our relationships as we see people for all they can become. And also, as we see people that are in process, we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in those people that are in process will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We should all have signs around our neck that say, Christians under construction. Because we are. We're all in process. We all have issues. We all have stuff that God's working on in our sanctification process. And if you say, well, I'm not in process. I got it all figured out. I've arrived. If you say that you don't have any issues anymore, that's an issue. That's an issue right there. Because we're all Christians under construction. So let's go on. After this great verse, I'm confident of this very thing that you began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 7 and 8. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my hearts. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you. Notice, you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now I want you to see something. Verse 4, verse uh, 7, verse 8, Paul says, y'all, 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 four times. Paul was not a Yankee. He, he was a Southerner. He says, y'all, y'all, four times in three verses. Amazing. But what is he saying about y'all in Philippi? He says, I have you in my heart. He's saying, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the next principle. I'm more join your relationships. Keep those people in your relationship with in your heart. Now, the analogy or the kind of the imagery Paul's giving is of the high priest. The high priest in Paul's Jewish background would wear the ephod. The ephod had jewels in rows across his chest and his heart. Those jewels would have engraved on them the name of every one of the tribes of Israel. And God purposely had him wear that so those jewels of people would be on his heart. And the high priest would keep those people on his heart. And you know what? We're supposed to do the same as the high priest. Actually, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? We're supposed to keep other people we're in relationship on our hearts. 
And we're supposed to have an affection of Christ Jesus for them. We're supposed to love them with the love of the Lord. Well, you don't know my spouse. You don't know my people I work with. You don't know that. It doesn't matter. Keep them on your heart. Keep them on your heart. And not only have, have, have the love of Christ for them. You know what? How do you do that? The way you do that is being connected to the source and the author of love, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also must love one another, and by this all men will know you are my disciples by your, what? By the fact that you go to Calvary Chapel. Now, how will people know you're Jesus' disciples? By your love for one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples uh, John 13, 34 and 35 tells us, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We're also told that we love, 1 John chapter 4 says, we love because he, what, first loved us. And then 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For the one who does not love does not know God for God is what? Love. The chief work of the spiritual life, again, is love. And if you want more, join your relationships. You need to be connected to the source of love, which is Jesus Christ, and have this abiding relationship with him. And he says, as you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why quiet times on a daily basis is so important. Because you're basking in his love in that quiet time. You're allowing him to pour into your heart, as Romans 5 says, his love. So that love can then be, be transferred to other people in your relationship with them. That's why church is so important. What do we do here at church? We spend time in his love. Just getting filled up with his love so we can go back out there and be people that are operating in his love. I've probably done 100 marriages in the last 32 years of ministry. And you know what? My chief premarital counseling tip to any marriage I'm going to officiate for, I always tell them, hey, if you want to have a great marriage, have a great relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the source of you loving your spouse. And as you connect, I always give the triangle principle. Some of you, I did your weddings, and you remember this. I always give the triangle principle, and that is this. Husband, wife, the closer you get in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the closer you're going to get in your relationship with one another. The more you fall in love with Jesus Christ and stay close to him, the more you're going to fall in love with one another. And the farther away you get from Jesus Christ, it's going to damage your your relationship with one another because you don't have his love flowing in you and through you, right? Right? We love because he first loved us. And God is love. One more join your relationships. Have that affection. Have people in your heart and have the affection of Jesus Christ for them. Now let's close up our scripture. It says this, and this I pray, verse 9, that your love, again, Paul's praying specifically now for these believers in Philippi, that their love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent and be sincere and blameless. Look at this specific prayer request, Paul. They're very specific. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and the praise of God. The last thing Paul does in his relationship with these Philippians is he prays for them, and he prays specifically for them. You look at it again. He prays specifically that they might have love abounding more and more. They, that they might approve the things that are excellent. They might be sincere and blameless. They might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Specific prayer after prayer after prayer. You know how we can have more joint relationships? Last principle. Pray specific prayers for those people we're in relationship with. 
Don't just say, hey, bless my wife. That's it. No, pray specifically for your spouse and specific prayers for them. Don't just pray for your kids. God bless our kids. No, pray specific prayers for your kids. And well, here's the thing. We have this saying around here. It says prayer changes things. And it does, doesn't it? Prayer, it circumstantially changes things. Uh, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. But I, I have another saying. I think we should post this too. Not only does prayer change things, guess what? Prayer changes us. And that's one of the primary reasons why we should be people of prayer. Is not only to change circumstances through our prayers, but allow God's spirit in our times of prayer to be changing us, changing our hearts, changing us from being bitter people in our relationships to thankful people, changing us from being angry to being people of peace because we're praying specific prayers for those people in relationships. And especially if you're having some conflict in relationships, if you're having some bitterness in relationships, if you're having some uh, in your relationships, you really need to be praying for those people because it'll keep your heart right. Look at the example of Jesus. He's getting killed by his own creations, mocked, spit upon by these things that he created, human beings. It's being scourged, whipped, mocked. It's being pierced through for our transgressions on a cross. What did Jesus do in the midst of that? To maintain his joy, I think. Because it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What did he do for those creations that were killing him? He prayed for them. And he said, specific prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. See that specific prayer? Praying for the forgiveness of the people that were killing him. I think we need to have some more prayers like that. We need to have more prayers for people in relationship with specifically praying for them. And it'll keep our heart right and it'll bless our relationships, bring more joy in our relationships. So what are the principles we saw this more for more joy in our relationships? Number one, be a person of what? Grace and peace. Present tense grace. You need God's grace right now in relationships. Be people that are merciful, kind. Hey, again, oxymoron, two words don't go together. Mean Christians, kind Christians, gracious Christians, peaceful Christians. Those words go together. Second principle, uh, be thankful. Be thankful for those people in your relationship. Remember the best, forgive the rest, right? Very important. Now, that, that, that's so important because that brings not only joy in our relationships, it brings healing in our relationships too, as we remember the best and forgive the rest. Number three, remember those people. As you remember those people, um, remember that they're in process. Remember that anybody in a relationship with isn't finished yet until they get to heaven. We're not going to be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ, so don't have too high of expectations for anybody. Hey, by, by the way, including your pastor. Remember, when you start seeing weaknesses or faults in me, remember that I'm just one beggar showing the other beggars where the food's at, Right? Don't put me on a pedestal thinking, thinking I haven't arrived, so I'm still in process like you all, and that'll help you with your relationship with me when you get upset with me about something. I, I'm just a Christian in construction just like you are, and it'll help me with my relationship with you. When you tick me off, I could just say, hey, I'm just, you're, you're in process, I'm in process, praise the Lord, right? And that'll help bring more joy in our relationships. And again, we're all in process. Remember the, that we're just Christians under construction that we can be confident, though, that, that God's going to carry to completion that good work that they started in us on the day of Christ Jesus. Number four, have a Christ-like love and affection for other people. Now, question, where do we get that from? 
our relationship with Jesus. You want to have greater relationships? Have a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. He will pour into your heart his love as you spend time with him and develop an abiding relationship. And he'll help you in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships. As you relate to him, he'll pour his love into your heart and there'll be more joy in those relationships. Last thing, it's very important too, especially when there's conflict, pray for those people that you're in relationship with. And pray how? How are we to pray for those people we're in relationship with? Specific prayers. Specifically pray for them. You know, Jesus even said you're supposed to do that with your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. It'll help keep your heart right. Amen, church? You know, I had to apply these principles after my dad passed. Share this with the last congregation, too, our last service. And, and I remember my dad passed suddenly. He got pneumonia. I didn't notice he had a bad liver at the time after 35 years of alcoholism. And bam, he was gone within a a day. I got an SOS call from my sister. I had to fly up to Chicago. I got there in time to see my dad with a ventilator, with a pneumonia and everything. I remember praying for him and then going home at midnight thinking, Dad's going to make it through. He always does. Got a call the next morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. Dad's gone. It rocked my world because it was sudden, unexpected. And I remember going through this grieving process with losing my dad. Suddenly, he's only 60-some years old, and I remember as I was working through that whole grieving process with my dad, I started getting my faith back. I started working through it. And then the Lord told me. He said, John, now you're going to need to forgive your dad. My dad was already gone, but I needed to, in my spirit, I needed to forgive my dad. And I remember going through that process of forgiving my dad for 35 years of alcoholism, forgiving him for bringing the craziness of dysfunctional alcoholism into our family, forgiving my dad for uh, just the infidelities and all the problems that were just part of my childhood because of his addiction to alcohol. And then at the last moment, I believe in the last couple months of my dad's life, I got some affirmation, some other signs from books he was reading, the Bible by his bedside, that he probably did repent and get things right with God, which brings great, great relief to my heart. But I still had to go through this process of forgiving my dad. And I remember I had to reply, reply some of these principles in my relation with dad, even after he had died. I, I remember the Lord told me, John, now, you need to remember the best and forgive the rest with your dad. You need to remember the way your dad was one of your best friends when you were growing up. You need to remember all those sporting events your dad went to and, and cheered for you. You need to remember the way that your dad taught you things that you still apply today like working and working hard. You need to remember those things that he imparted to you. You need to remember the fact that even after you were gone and planting churches, which he didn't really approve of because he wanted you to take over his real estate company or whatever, you remember the way that your dad financially supported you and helped you when there was crises as a, as, as a young family in your life. And, and you know, he, he would send us a check when we were in the crisis mode in Wisconsin or San Diego and our car broke down or whatever. Now, he'd always send the check with a ledger of uh, interest-free payments for the next three years or something. He's a Dutch guy. But, but you need to remember the way he took care of you. You need to remember the best and forgive the rest. And you need to remember that, uh, that you had a dad that had some, he had some, yeah, he had some major imperfections, but there's some real potential for Christ there. And now he's in heaven probably just worshiping and giving glory to God. And just like the thief on the cross, he got in the tail end of his life. But praise the Lord for that. In church, some of you here this morning, I'm telling you, some of you here this morning, 
you want to have more joy in your relationships, you've got to get back to this principle. Remember the best, forgive the rest, and be people of grace, present tense, and peace today. Can I get an amen for that? Man, I could keep, that could preach, and I could go on with that, but we need to pray. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the book of Philippians. Thank you for all we're learning as we go through this book on joy. Thank you, God, that you commanded us to rejoice in the Lord always, and we're going to be people of joy, Father. And I pray as we go through this book, as we look at circumstances next week, how to have joy even in the worst of circumstances, which Paul was in, I pray that we'd be applying these principles, not only uh, hearing them and learning them, but living them, Lord. Help us to be living out what we're learning here about joy. Help us to be rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Help us to be people that as we apply these principles, Lord, learn to live with joy, not just happiness based on happenstance, but joy, inner joy, delight, cheerfulness on the inside because we're applying these principles. I pray for people that might be here this morning, Lord, that have some grievances and some bitterness and some anger in some of their relationships, Lord. Let them be people today of grace and peace. Help us to apply this, remember the best and forgive the rest. Help us to be people, Lord, that don't look at people's present imperfections, but their future potential. Help us to be people that are basking your love on a regular basis so your love can be flowing in us and through us. Help us to be people that are praying specific prayers for those people that we have relationship and friendship with today, Lord. And Father, I pray for more joy in every single relationship we have. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people that live out what we're learning here and be people of joy, even this week. Give us a new level of joy even this week, Father. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.